0: Hey, uh, good day to everybody. Hope everybody's having a great weekend or is going to have a great weekend. I want to welcome you at all six of our locations. We're one church, multiple locations, multiple languages, and also welcome those of you who are tuning in online, Facebook, YouTube, or Rockbridge Online. Glad that you're joining with us, however you're joining with us. So we're in a series that's kind of come out of Easter where we're talking about this notion that we all live by promises, whether you're a believer, non-believer, been away from God, seeking God, you followed a promise. You are following a promise. You've experienced someone who overpromised or un- and underdelivered. You've experienced the disappointment of a promise. But everybody's walking by a promise. It's the promise of money. It's the promise of drugs. It's the promise of social media and likes. It's the promise of your career. It's the promise of a paycheck. It's the promise that uh, that we give when we enter into friendships or we enter into marriage. We make covenant and vows, and so we all walk by, live by promises, and we're looking at God in the light of God is not only a promise maker, but he's a promise keeper. And that forms the boundaries and the paths of our relationship with him. And so we're just walking through some of the major promises of scripture. And today the promise that we're going to dig into, I think is instrumental For the future of Rockbridge Community Church, I think it's instrumental for the future of the church in America. America, as we're in a different landscape than probably we've been in a long time as Christians or as the church in our country. And so, I think there's a promise that we need to dig into and lean into, and then pursue with all our might. So, I just want to stop and just have a time of prayer. I'll I'll, I'll stand in the gap for all of us watching online or any of our six locations. So, if you don't mind, let's join together. In prayer. God, thank you for everybody that's here, that's watching, whenever they're watching, however they're watching. God, they're not watching by accident. So Lord, I pray you'd speak to every single one of us. God, I pray you'd move every single one of us closer to you, closer to your purposes and your plans for us and our lives. So God, give his ears to hear, give his eyes to see, and God, may we walk away uh, different because we've met with you. God, again, thank you for every person that's here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So a couple of years ago, I was at a Martin Luther King Jr. celebration, and there was a pastor preaching. And I don't know, you know how like sometimes you hear something and it causes you to kind of gulp, you're like... You know, because like you know, that was for me, or I, I've got to do something with that, And, and it, something your parents said, something a grandparent said, a preacher said, a football, a basketball coach, a teacher, and you're like, whoa, that, and it just sort of sticks with you, right, and you write it down, or you don't even need to write it down, because it just becomes part of your deal, your story, or something that you're thinking about. And, and he was preaching uh, about doing good, and, and God wants to do good. And, and then he said it, and I'll sort of paraphrase it, but he kind of leaned forward, and he said, you know, God wants to do good things, but oftentimes he wants to do good things through you. And and I, and I, and I stopped, and I was like, you know, what he said, I, I got it, I understood it, and, but it, it caused me to wrestle. Because I think sometimes my Christianity is marked by hesitancy. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I, I'm, I, you know, I need permission sometimes to do good stuff or marked by, you know, is this God's will? Is this not God's will? And you go through this wrestling match and you're like, God, should I, should I not? And what should I do? What should I not? And that's just inside of Matt Evans. I'm just speaking for myself. But then, you know, I started reflecting more on that. And, and, and I think if you ask, that's going on inside me as a Christ follower. And I know it's going on inside of many of you. I, I, I talk to you. I hear your prayer requests. But then you start thinking about people that are outside of Christianity, which is the vast majority of, of our country, uh, people that are outside of the faith, which is the vast majority of the people in the six communities that we live in, even though we live in the Bible Belt. And you talk to them And, and, you know, there's sort of, you know, Christianity is like, man, it's a tradition or they're like, well, Christians are just against things and and Christians are kind of, uh, it's just what you can't do. And so I I started thinking, I was like, so inside of me, there's a hesitancy and the reputation of Christians uh, for Christians, for people outside of the faith is like, well, y'all are just against stuff or you just don't do stuff. And I was like, man, is Christianity marked by hesitancy, no, and stop and being against. Is that what we're known for? And, and so I started thinking, it's like, you know, maybe we just have like a red light faith. That, that when you become a Christian or when you consider becoming a Christian, it's like, red light, red light. Nope, can't, stop, no. And, and, and I was thinking, I was like, golly bum, that, that may be why a lot of people aren't Christians. That may be why a lot of you are, are, are stagnated Christians. Uh, That may be why right now, you know, you'd say my faith hasn't grown because we just sort of look at our lives, look at God. And it's like, yeah, we got to make a living. Yeah, we got to raise the kids. Yeah, we got to nurture the marriage. Yeah, we got to buy groceries. Yeah, we got to squeeze a vacation in if we can afford it, if we can. Uh, Yeah, we got to put some money away, whatever. But, you know, when it comes to this sort of purpose and life, it's just sort of like red light, and so I just want to ask you a question. You can wrestle with it inside yourself, talk about it in your small groups and, or with your, in your marriage. When you think of following Jesus, Christianity, do you think of red or do you think of green? And, and I, I just want to be honest with, the, with us, and especially you know, if you've grown up in church. Listen, I, I, we need to understand something about what's going on in our country right now, or going in our communities right now, is most people have no interest in becoming a Christian. Because they just look at us and like, they all are just know to everything. You just think, we just know what you're against. We just know what you're against. And then inside of us, we're like, God, should we, could we, can we, should we not, should we not? Red light, maybe red light, is it going to turn to green? And we're just kind of like, stop, go, stop, go. And we don't know what to do with that. And so there's a tension there that I think comes down to the very core of the future of our faith, of our vitality as a church here at Rockbridge Community Church, and certainly the vitality of Christianity in the United States of America. So I began thinking, you know, again, that phrase that that pastor said, at that Martin Luther King Jr. celebration that caused me to gulp and journal and think through that phrase. And it's three, four years ago, and I'm still thinking about it, right? And I started thinking, I was like, okay, think about this. In God's original plan, like in the original, before it got messed up, before we hijacked it, before we rebelled, you know, I'm talking Genesis 1 and 2, there was one thing Adam and Eve could not do. One thing. So it looked more like that in the beginning. Hey, you can do anything you want. You can, you're north, south, east, west, just go and show the world, be an image bearer, be a reflector of God Almighty go do that. Be fruitful, multiply, make a bunch of babies, create culture. I mean, it sounds fun, right? And, and there was just one thing. So it was very much a green light faith. And, and then I, I think when a lot of us talk about even becoming a Christian or becoming a Christ follower, we'll use past tense language. Like I got saved. I was confirmed. I received Jesus. And then it's kind of all over. Where, where Jesus would prefer the language, following me. See, following is green light, right? It's adventure. It's go. It's do. It's move. It's advance. It's progress versus, oh, yeah, I got saved eight years ago. I got saved when I was eight years old. What's changed? What are you doing? Oh, I got saved eight, and it's still past tense. And, and so I'm like, okay, God, maybe there's a promise of Scripture. Maybe there's a path that we're missing. Maybe, uh, maybe we've got to get off this red light mentality. And so uh, there's this incredible passage of Scripture. I've been praying it, thinking through it for, I don't know, a couple of years off and on. And it comes in Second Thessalonians. And and let me just give you a little context. We'll we'll jump here in chapter 1. We'll get to the promise in just a second. But Paul's writing, and, and he loves the church at Thessalonica. They're being persecuted like crazy. They're suffering for being Christians, and so he's always encouraging them. So he says, hey, we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly, since your faith is flourishing. So you have a dynamic faith. Your faith is growing, and the love each one of you has for one another is only increasing. Therefore we ourselves we boast about you among God's churches among the other churches you have a great reputation about your perseverance because it's hard and faith and all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. And then he goes on and he starts to talk about the coming judgment of God. And he talks about the coming justice of God. And he talks about the second coming of God. And so he's talking and he's trying to encourage these believers who are suffering. And, and you know, he's saying, hey, God's going to make everything right. And the people that are persecuting you, they will face, they will be dealt with. They will have judgment. And, and, and then he switches gears. And this takes us to the promise. And, it's, and it comes down to, okay, you're being persecuted. You're waiting for Jesus to come back as we all are. What should we be doing now? You know, I I, I, I always ask this question, I wrestle with this question, man. If the whole purpose was you to get saved, you to get saved, you to get saved, and then go to heaven when you die, why didn't God just take us there? Right when we get saved, right when we become a Christ Christian or a Christ follower. And, And then I think, you know, are we supposed to just go in a holy huddle and wag our finger at the world? Is that what we're supposed to do? Are we just supposed to meet, be mad, and be against what are we supposed to do? And Paul, why I love the Bible, Paul answers that question. So he's like, you're suffering, but you're you're flourishing. Things are fine. God's going to make everything right. And so he tells them how to live in the in-between. That's where we are in the in-between. So he says, on that day, second coming, when Jesus comes, when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed, there's gonna come a day and we're just gonna stand in awe of Christ. It'll be the best day in the world, best day ever. Be-, be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you is believed, so you have a true faith. So he says, in view of that, here, here's how you should live, here's what you should do now. In view of that, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling. So God's called you to something. And we're living up and living into that and growing into that. He Make you worthy of his calling. And by his power, look at this, fulfill your every desire. Some translations say resolve. Your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith. So, he, so look what he's saying. He's like, look, inside of you, inside of you, church, There is something God's wanting you to green light. There's something in you that God wants to do good and bring that through you. And, and he just changes my paradigm for Christianity is no, Christianity is against, Christianity is a holy huddle waiting for the rapture. Changes my paradigm to, man, I'm not drinking, I'm not smoking, I'm not doing bad stuff, to what good am I doing? Because Paul's saying, there's a green light here. And not only is there a green light, there's a promise behind the green light. Look at the promise, because this is what the series is all about, right? Here's the promise. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you. So God will get glory by the good green light that you do. And then you by him. Now don't catch, catch that. He just said that on that day, the whole world, everybody's going to marvel. Here's Jesus. Everybody's going to stand it all and be like, man, that's Christ and be amazed. And he's going to get glory and he's going to give us glory too. And it'll be the best day in the history of the the world. It's what everything's moving toward that day. And so that's the promise. Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So so look at the progression, okay? There's desires inside the people of God. Desires to do good. Good. But 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 we don't stop it. Just we don't stop it. Just hey, there's something ought to be done about that. We don't stop it. Hey, I've got an impulse. We don't stop. We take it to action, which Paul calls a work of faith that it's built on our identity and our trust in God, and God supplies power for that action. And then glory goes to Jesus, and glory comes back to us. And so for me, this passage was like, man, it just switches the light, doesn't it? It switches it from red. To green but but let's wrestle with that for just a second okay when you think about Christianity when people you know that aren't Christians think about Christianity do they think of it as more sins for me to avoid or good for me to do do they think it more of going to heaven when I die or pointing to heaven as I live Because, because listen, one of the reasons Christ, listen to me, one of the reasons Christians backslide is because you've got energy. And, and if that and that energy, according to Paul, is meant to be doing good, to do some green light stuff. If you don't live on the green light, where's that energy going to go? I'll tell you where it's going in the church in America, by and large. It's going to negativity. Pursuing comfort, earthly gain, or sin avoidance. Now, I'm not saying we should go sin, but I'm saying we've got energy from the Holy Spirit. It's a work of faith. It's from God. We've got green light energy inside of us. We've got green light desires inside of us. And if we don't translate that into action, then what do we do? We pursue comfort. Our biggest concern is, man, do I, can I get the clothes? Can I buy the house? Can I get the bonus? Or we get negative. The world is terrible. I'm not sure what's going on in the world today. Can you believe what they did? Can you believe? And we're just mad. We're just mad. I mean, some, some people in the church are more mad about masks than about extreme poverty. They're more mad about masks than the fact that people really have an eternal address that's not with Jesus. Or, or it's like earthly gain. How can I get ahead? How can I get ahead? And, and then some people say, like, man, I just got to fight this sin. I got to fight this sin. And we do have to fight the sin. But there is green light stuff inside of us. And so I started thinking, I was like, okay, let me just make sure, let me just make sure, because this is, to me, this is revolutionary. To me, this is a paradigm changer. <clears throat> is this the way the Bible describes how Christ followers live? All right, so let's give, I'm going to give you a couple examples. So Luke, Luke wrote two volumes, Luke and Acts. And just look at his writing when he talks about why he did what he did. He's, and this is the very beginning of his book, in, in the first volume, which is Luke. So it also, look, seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the first, Jesus' life, to write to you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So you may know fully what Jesus did. Now look, what, it this seemed good to me. Now, I asked you a question. Was the light green or red for Luke? I, I got a desire to do something good. I'm a doctor. I'm a historian. He's a really good historian, by the way. And, 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 and people need to know that what Jesus did and the miracles he worked and the life he lived, they need to know about it. And so he lived. It was green light. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm working through Luke right now in, in my quiet time, in my prayer time with God. And I'm like, man, Luke, I'm so glad it seemed good to you because it's really good for me right now in 2021. And then you go, I was like, I mean, let's see if there's an Old Testament example, okay? I mean, Old Testament seems to be the, 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 the no book of the Bible, right? Ezra, the gracious hand of his God was on him. So God's favor was resting upon Ezra. Now, Ezra had determined in his heart, it's a resolve, right? It's a resolution, just like we read in 2 Thessalonians, to study the law of the Lord, to obey it, and to teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. So is Ezra living on the red, or is Ezra green? Go, baby. I mean, he's green light. And then you go to one of the most beautiful descriptions of what happens when a person crosses over from death to life, when a person gives Jesus the sins of their soul and the steering wheel of their life. And the very final thought says this, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Which God prepared ahead of time. That's green light, right? For us to do. Now, Here's what that tells me. That tells me, this is, this is the, the word of God. That tells me inside of every believer, there's something God wants us to do there is a path God has laid out of good works. There's impulses, there's desires. They may be latent. They may be dormant. They may have been buried over by busyness, by pain, by shame, by guilt. They may be buried over by the rat race of the 21st century, but they're there and God is wanting to get them out. See, listen, I am convinced that so many of so much of our hesitancy, so much of our negativity, so much of our reputation is a work of Satan to put the church on red. Just keep them huddled up and mad. Just keep them huddled up and trying to avoid cigarettes and tattoos, baby, right? And and, and you know what? I think I I was just on a call last week. You know, the largest religious group in America right now is nuns. No affiliation. It's the largest religious group in the United States of America right now. Nuns. And uh, <clears throat> what's gonna make them see Christ? Is it red light Christianity or green light? Now, now let's be clear. Let's be clear. Let's, let's go back to this passage, this promise. So, when we think about these resolves, let's make sure, we're, or these desires, let's make sure we're clear. This is not us saying something needs to be done. This is not us saying someone should do something about that. This is to you and to me, individually, corporately, collectively, as the church. So it's not someone should do, it's you and I should do. If it's in you, it needs to translate into an action that comes out of you, right? It's not, oh, something needs to be done about that. Okay, what about you? Hey, pastor, somebody ought to do something. We ought, the church ought to do something. You're the church too. And it's not, it's sooner than someday, and it's quicker than eventually. It's green light. It's green light. So these resolves up here, and you study the original Greek word. I mean, it it is not suggestions or consideration. It is, hey, it's Luke. Man, it seemed good to me to write two volumes about the life of Jesus and and the blessing of of the first church. It's Ezra like, hey, I am going to know the law, study the law, and I'm going to teach it to Israel. Now, this this other part of that, which is to do good. To do good is not to relieve guilt because our guilt has been taken away by the blood of Jesus. It is not to make ourselves look good or feel good. And it's not to earn God's favor. We have God's favor in Christ. It is to live our calling and to live the desires of the Holy Spirit that are in us, either buried or dormant or latent or otherwise, and to allow those things to come out. And and here's the thing. Here's how we can live, okay? When the goal is doing good that makes Jesus look good, the light is green. When the goal is doing good to make Jesus look good, the light is green. Let me say that another way. Go unless you get a no. I think a lot of us assume it's no. Can I go help that person? Can I go share Christ with that person? Can I do this? No. It's go. Go unless you get a no. It reminds me one time, you know, I think sometimes we're just so insecure or we're afraid of messing up. I remember some, one time I was a little boy. I had an older brother who a really good football player. And uh, it was, he was playing high school ball, <clears throat> and he went on to play college ball, but he was playing a high school game. He, was, he, he played mostly defense. Occasionally, he'd run the ball. And uh, in this particular game, he fumbled, right? And, and we were coached a little old school, so you know what that means. And, I, and I, afterwards, he got home, and I was like, Mark, did you get yelled at? Did you get in trouble for fumbling? Because the other team got the ball. He's like, no. I was like, why not? He's like, well, the coach said I was trying to get extra yards, I thought, what if the church, yeah, we're going to mess up because we're sinners, but what if we're fumbling trying to get extra yards for the kingdom, trying to do good that makes Jesus look good? See, I think we're afraid we're going to mess something up. Let me tell you something. I, I learned a long time ago, and I'm living proof of it. God makes straight lines with crooked sticks. I'm a church planter turned pastor. If you knew me, me and my sin struggles and how many mistakes I've made leading this church, and look where our church is, and all glory be to God. I mean, God makes straight lines with crooked sticks. We're all crooked sticks. We're going to fumble, but let's fumble for extra yards. Second thing that we can get out of this passage and this promise is this when the goal is doing good that makes Jesus look good, power is provided. Not my power, God's power. Power is provided, favor is given. So when the goal is to make Jesus look good, God is going to meet us and provide us with his power. There's three promises of power in scripture, promise for power for salvation, promise for power for sanctification. We talked about that last week and the promise of power to serve God in such a way that Jesus gets the credit and Jesus gets the glory. And then finally, when the goal is doing good that makes Jesus look good, glory is given and glory is received. Glory is given and glory is received. Glory is given, glory is received. So amazing and so awesome. So, let me just share some handlebars, some tips for living on green. Handlebars and tips for living on green, okay? The first one is this, let's, a common mistake is I think sometimes we think in terms of worldly power. We think in terms of worldly power. It's why a lot of Christians get uh, unglued about politics and who wins and who loses elections, okay? that's not the story of our faith. The, the, the power of our faith has never re- been about who's in power politically. It's never been that. In fact, I, I'm reading this book on uh, the, the evangelism and, and doing good and all that kind of stuff. And the guy made an incredibly astute observation. Here's what he said. He said, the people that misunderstood Jesus thought of Jesus purely in terms of political power. And he said, the disciples, they misunderstood Jesus because they thought he was going to put them in political power over the nation of Israel. The religious leaders and the Romans thought Jesus was going to take political power away from them. And they both misunderstood Jesus. So a lot of times we're waiting around Somebody ought to do something about that. Well, I don't have the power to do that. I can't do anything about that. They ought to do something about that. Somebody ought to do something. But no, 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 no. It's never been that way in true Christianity. Look at what Jesus said. He asked his disciples, what do you want me to do for him, for you? And they gave a political power answer. They said, allow us to sit at your right and your left in glory or sit on your thrones. Kind of how it works out in meaning. Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and others flaunt their authority over those under them, but it's not among you. That's not the way it's supposed to be. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, uh, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if we don't think in terms of power, I mean, we go to work, well, I'm not the boss. We look at our country. Well, I'm not in Congress or I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm not on the Supreme Court. That's the wrong way for a Christ follower to think. It's the wrong way for a kingdom seeker to think. Instead, we should think in terms of influence. Think in terms of influence. All right. Paul is in a Roman prison. Is he powerful? No. Is he influential? Yes. The first church persecuted the first church outnumbered the first church has no power in the roman in the roman sphere of government the roman influence is the church first church powerful no are they influential yes jesus christ he's crucified naked as a common criminal is he powerful from a worldly perspective no is he influential yes so we think in terms of influence and this is what jesus meant Matthew 5, you're the salt of the earth. Salt has influence. Do we think of salt as being powerful? Not really. It's like nobody finishes a good meal. It's like, man, the salt was great. <laughs> right? But the salt was influential to make it great, right? You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it sit under a basket, but rather on a lampstand gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. That's almost Jesus's version of what Paul said. Look, good works, green light and give glory. That's why to your father in heaven. So when we think about what influence is, I'll give you three words. I get these from a guy named Paul David Tripp. First, influence is thinking. How do I think about myself? When we go out into the world every day to do our jobs, raise our kids, do the groceries, do we go out and are we going out understanding to represent Jesus? Or are we going out, man, I hope everything goes my way today. There's a big difference between walking into your day thinking, man, I hope everything goes my way today and thinking, man, what good can I do today? It's a big difference, right? It's a big difference. So it's one, it's how do we think about ourselves? How do we think, do we realize we're living in the kingdom of Jesus or we're we living in the kingdom of self. Influence is also attitude. What kind of attitude do we show the world? And Jesus said a lot, Paul said a lot about attitude. Attitude's like our mindset, and when we can be so influential just because of our attitude. And, and I, I've been, uh, you know, memorizing this verse, praying this verse. and This verse is a lot of my repentance, you know, when I finish my day or start my next day. I'm like, God, uh, you know, I swear I need to repent, need your grace, need your help. But it's an attitude verse. He says, as God's chosen people, Colossians, holy and dearly loved, put on. So it's a choice. It's like, you know, am I going to put on this shirt or that shirt? Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are influential attitudes. These will draw attention. Now, again, I I want us as Christians to own something. Whether you look at social media or you ask a non-believer, is this what we're known for? Influence, attitude of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All of those five things are Jesus Christ. It's how he lived his life. So if the world's going to see Jesus, the world's going to see Jesus through his people, through his church. It's the preacher's statement. God wants to do good things. but He wants to do them through you with this attitude that points to him. And then finally, influence is action. You know, we can think it, we can have the right attitude, but eventually we've got to make it a verb. We've got to make it a verb. We've got to do something. James says it this way What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? What good? does that do so the light the light is green now I've been praying a lot about today and this message and it's really a, a preview of some things we're going to hopefully talk about more as we pray and get more clarity in the fall and uh, as a church and a, a church it's for such a time as this but I really fundamentally believe if you are a born-again Christ follower There's some impulses, some desires for good that are inside of you. Some of you are living those things out, and praise God for it. And listen, we're finite. We're finite. I'm not going to be able to do all the good things that need to be done in the world. You're not going to be able to do them. So just because you're passionate about X and they're passionate about Y, if they're both glory to God, kingdom seeking, then glory be to God. You pursue your X and you pursue your Y and we'll be the church. We'll be salt and we'll be light. Okay? Okay. But I just want to give you some phrases of what this feels like or what you might be thinking as you process these good desires inside of you. Okay, you may be saying something like this, thinking something like this, making a difference, restoring brokenness. I'm going for it. I'm taking the step, right? Here's some other ones. I've never done this before. It feels risky, radical, but right. If you ask me, how we felt, Beth and I, when we started Rockbridge, with it's like felt risky, felt radical, but it felt right. Or as we like to say at Rockbridge, it's living scent. It's living sent. It's God sent us green light to do some good. It's green light to do some good. I I, 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 two two quick stories, and and then we'll wrap up and close. Okay, just sharing. I got a letter from someone who had been at Rockbridge for a while and and God called them to another vocation, another location. And he wrote me this incredible letter just complimenting our church and all that he had learned and all that God had done. And inside that letter was a very, very large uh, check to the church. And here was his language. He said, Matt, I have never given this amount of money away before it's what it feels like right it's green There's good to be done this week I had the privilege of uh, going to lunch with a brother 80 years old tears in his eyes how do we see more people get saved Matt in our city And it inspired me, because I'm 46. And I was like, man, I got to get my passion back in some critical areas. This summer, <clears throat> we're going to do a Serve the City, OK? July 24th through 28th. Please write it down. Take a picture of the screen. We'll talk about it more, but you know how summer gets. We're gonna take our church. We normally get to have about 75 to 100 people go overseas on mission trips. We'll have less this year due to COVID restrictions, travel restrictions, but no, no travel here. You get in your car and you drive somewhere. And in one of our six regional cities, regional communities, we're just gonna go out and make an impact, make a difference. I, I would encourage you, it's not going, you don't have to go every day. It's gonna be scheduled out. I mean, if you can't go on the 24th, you may go on the 25th. You can go with your kid. We'll have some opportunities to go with your kids. We'll have some opportunities to go with your small group, or you can just go but we all need to put it on our calendar and we all just need to have that experience together, make an impact regionally in six locations because what, what color is the light? It's green. And there's green inside of all of you. So let, let, me, let me close with this, all right? This is a picture of Death Valley. It's the driest place in North America. All right, Death Valley gets about two, <clears throat> two three inches of rain a year. Now, not a lot, okay? And, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's pretty, but it's hot and it's dry and everything. And, and, and in many ways, this might be a picture of how it feels like to be in our world right now. Okay? But every so often, usually when La Nina comes in or there's a significant amount of rainfall, there's almost this miraculous thing that happens. There's Death Valley. It's called a super bloom event. It's a super bloom event. So rain will come through. And all these flowers will sprout up. And you think, man, flowers don't grow in the desert? How did that happen? I mean, what, what's going on? And, and, and you know, they, they've studied this, and what happens is this. In this season, all the seeds are in the ground and they just lie dormant. They're just sort of, it's almost like the seeds hibernate, waiting. And when the rain comes, this happens. I think the church in our six cities and the church in America, I mean, it may feel and look like this, but inside of the church, there is a holy seed from a holy God, a God who does good and who commissions us to do good, a God who has given us the green light in his name to represent him. And so my prayer is that beginning this weekend, there is a rain of the Holy Spirit from the word of God into your heart and that we begin to bloom wherever God has planted us for his glory. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much. You first loved us. God, I'm praying that in many people, the paradigm changes from red to green. God, I'm praying for many of us, our paradigm switches to how can we have influence for Jesus Christ. God, I think you've planted us in places and and around people where it's dry and arid and hot. But God, we're a holy seed of hope and beauty and grace and goodness. Help us to bloom where you have strategically planted us to be your church, to be your people for such a time as this. And may we live by the promise, God, that on that day you come back, you will be glorified but you will be glorifying us who have done good in your name by your grace and for your glory. And it's in that name, the name above all names that we pray, Jesus Christ, our King and Savior. Amen.